So we're going to get into uh, just a short series that talks about community in the next two Sundays, today and next Sunday, and we're going to talk about how it's better together. This is a phrase that we often say at Waterlife Church, it's better together, and we really believe that it is. And today in particular, we're going to be talking about how overcoming struggles is better together. Does anybody have any struggles? All right, and yeah, we all have struggles, right? Life has struggles. They are kind of guaranteed. If you're alive, you're going to have some struggles, but overcoming struggles is better together, and we're going to learn that from Paul in the book of Ephesians. But first of all, let me tell you some stories, the story of last month and how a team of our water lifers went to Haiti and had to overcome struggles together. And I'll tell you a couple stories because it was actually the most difficult mission trip that I've ever been on. Uh, just last month, it was the most struggle-filled mission trip ever. And uh, let me describe to you some of these challenges that we had. Now, we went to Haiti uh, with our team of 17 people, and we spent three days right off the bat on Survivor Island. That's what I call it. It wasn't the real name, but I call it Survivor Island because literally we just had to hang on and just barely survive. Now we jumped into these fishing boats to get there. So we get, uh, uh, we get there and we have to jump in these fishing boats and travel not across the lake, but across the ocean for two hours in these fishing boats, just loaded with stuff traveling across the ocean. And that was a little harrowing. You know, there's a, you know, take the next slide here. Um, you know, it was the fish natique. Nicknamed Fred, right? So we had to get in Fred and travel. That does not look like an ocean-faring vessel, but that is the one that we traveled across. Now, when we got to the island, we had to jump in this uh, cube van with cutout windows. There it is. That was our transportation. We had to put, actually, by the time we got our translators and our Haitian folks, we had uh, 25 people in that thing. And here's the next picture of it. And that, that's all of us in there, the luggage on there. Actually, the good news is we didn't have as much luggage as we had planned because the airport lost 11 of our bags. Um, so it really saved us a lot of room, but it did mean that a lot of us just had the clothes on our back and nothing else. Four days later, that luggage would show up halfway through the mission trip. And, um, you know, we were having a blast on there. I mean, look at this next picture. I mean, we are, we we're having a blast. We hadn't started then yet, right? We had to travel in this vehicle two hours over roads like this, which was just basically a bumpy mountain path through the jungle to the heart of that island. It's a big island. It's bigger than some Caribbean uh, countries. And so, uh, you know, the first half hour, we're having fun. Everyone's laughing, and we're flying out of our seats, and luggage is falling on our head, and it's really fun. After a half hour, it got kind of old, you know? After a half hour, it wasn't funny anymore, right? This is a person, it was so dusty in there. This person had their head like totally wrapped up. And that's Corey. He's just struggling to survive, right? So that was a challenge. We finally got out there. Uh, we got out into the middle of the jungle. And it was a, and actually a World Vision school at one time, but it had been abandoned. So we're in the middle of the jungle. And um, we learn about our bedding situation. Oh, remember, we were supposed to have pillows and blankets provided uh, there aren't any of that here. But we did find some old mattresses stacked up in a closet and put them on the concrete floors with no screens on the windows and the concrete walls. And that is what we were sleeping in. Notice there's no pillows and blankets. Like, that's, that's it. That's our situation that we're going to be sleeping in. And so we're all shell-shocked. 
you know, we'd just been through this incredible journey across the ocean in little boats and, and across the bumpy roads for two hours, and we're just like, and that, and we, there's no bedding. Okay, uh, what's next? You know, we, we look at the shower situation. The shower was a tarp with a rain barrel and a bucket. That was the shower situation. Hot water? No, it's the rain barrel water, right? So we're, we're, we're shell-shocked until we hear this screaming. We hear a lady screaming in pain. We had just barely got there. We look like zombies. We hear this lady screaming, and she has a medical emergency. We don't have any medical supplies unpacked yet. We had our doctor and our nurses and all that, but uh, this lady comes in, and right away, this is like minor surgery, trying to, trying to fix her up. She had an infection that was just brutal, and, uh, and that, was, that was a lot of screaming right off the bat. And then we hear more screaming. We hear more screaming, and it's coming from the outhouse area. See, one of our people had used the outhouse, uh, but then it said, you know, hey, that's not that bad. You know, our water lifers are troopers, right? The outhouse wasn't that bad. She went and got a friend and said, you should use this outhouse. It's not actually that bad. And in between her using the outhouse, getting her friend and coming back, there was something sitting on the seat. The tarantula that was living in the outhouse had crawled out, out of the outhouse. She had just used that seat. And there was the tarantula sitting on the seat of the outhouse, just waiting. And so there was more screams uh, coming from the outhouse, right? And those were not the only screams we heard all weekend. There were all kinds of screams. The next day, we heard a goat screaming. And this goat was screaming as it was being dragged into the compound. And I saw this goat had its heels dug in, and they were dragging it in there. I said, What's this? I, I, and I jokingly said, I guess that's supper for tomorrow, guys. Yep. That was. That was supper for tomorrow. We heard that goat scream one more time, and that was it, right? We had that goat uh, for supper. So there was all kinds of challenges in that trip. In the end, after three days, we had to get back in the cube van uh, in the middle of the night at four in the morning to bump across that road in the dark to get to our ferry on time. And literally, we were so loaded down in that van, all the welds started breaking, as we went off little cliffs and everything, it's pretty soon the luggage rack was broken. Take the luggage off the rack, it's going to drop on our heads. All our seats, the welds were snapping, and we got back to the ferry. And I'll tell you, our trip was filled with struggles. There were a lot of struggles on that trip. But I'll tell you what happened. At the end of it, here's what happened. We treated 711 patients in our mobile medical clinics. Uh, that had never been done before with this ministry. That was kind of their, their record in that ministry. And even more impressive than that, we had never seen such uh, extreme cases of, of medical emergencies on that island. And literally, lives were saved because we were there on that island. Lives were saved. There would have been people that would not have made it had we not have been there to treat the infections. And that was the main thing. People were infected. They didn't have any sanitary. They had no antibiotics. And people would die from infections if we weren't there to treat them. In one situation, we were about to close the medical clinic on the island, and we kind of said, no more patients, no more patients. So you can't go forever. Uh, you know. So we had to turn people away. And literally, this one mom threw her three-year-old at one of our water lifers, and she caught the three-year-old. She didn't have a choice. The three-year-old would drop on the, on the floor, if not. And this three-year-old had been barely conscious for two weeks and had a bad infection. This kid would have died uh, had we not treated this child with uh, antibiotics and, and treated wounds. I remember one of our nurses, one of our water lifers, said, I've never seen so much pus in my life. 
treating infections. But I'll tell you, at the end of it, we treated all those patients. Um, here, here's some pictures of, uh, of our, some of our medical team treating patients at the typical medical clinic. The next one, here's some, you know, we, we brought along, uh, I think, $300,000 worth of donated prescriptions. The antibiotics were lifesavers. We prayed for every single one of those 711 people, every single one uh, in person. Um, we prayed for them. We did uh, vacation Bible school for 335 kids. There were just tons and tons of kids, and, and, most of, and sometimes it was a challenge with that many kids, but, some, but most of the time, they were like this. Man, you give kids, you tell them a story, give them a coloring page and, and some crayons, and those kids just focus in. Uh, it was amazing. We, uh, we gave widows, 50, over 50 widows, food for an entire month, and there's their, there's their food they carried on their heads, and they bring it back to their, um, uh, their homes. We did so many things on that trip, and we made such a difference. We hung around with orphan kids and got so attached to those cute orphan kids. Uh, there's a bunch of them. Here's another picture. There's our team uh, at the orphanage where we stayed. And I'll tell you what, those kids, those orphan kids, are longing for attention because there's, there's thousands of orphans in Haiti, and there's a small team of people of the house moms who run that orphanage. And when you come there and give them individual attention, they just love that. You know, they're sleeping on you. They, they fall asleep in your arms. And they just hang on you at all times, right? Because they love that physical attention. They don't get touched. They don't get people to pay attention to them uh, so much. So at the end of the trip, we had our people say, through all those struggles, they said, when are we coming back? Chris, sign me up for the next time we are going. You know, they said, some of them said, this has been the most impacting time of my life. We overcame those struggles. And here's how we did it. We relied on God. We relied on each other. We were the church out there in Haiti. We were the church, and that's what the church is. The church are people who tap, out, tap on God's power and rely on each other to overcome struggles in life. That's the church. That's how it's meant to be. And that's my challenge for you today. My challenge is that we need to be the church. We don't need, just need to come to the church building there's a whole better system out there that Jesus developed that is the church. And the church relies on God and we rely on each other in community. And that's how we overcome struggles. So at the end of the trip, we were used to it. Struggles, bring them on. We can tackle any kind of struggles. And, and, and they just kept happening right to the end. So our last day, we were doing a medical clinic and it just poured rain on us. We were in the jungle again. We went on the mainland this time, way out into the jungle, a two-hour ride. Uh, not as bumpy. We were on a big school bus. There were better roads. But we got way out into the jungle and no power and all that kind of thing. And it just poured rain. And we had to, get, we had to put these cinder blocks to go to our different medical uh, medical huts there was the triage and the doctor's office and the pharmacy and all that and it, but here at the end we, we could overcome this as the water was rising and rising and rising but we knew how we got to this jungle village because we had there was a bridge that was out and we went through the river to get here in a big old school bus and we barely made it through that river to get here and now it had been pouring rain for hours, and we knew that that river was going to be flooding. It was down the mountain, and how are we going to get back? So we knew in the back of our minds, and no, not, none of us really talked about it as we get into the bus, but we knew what's going to happen at that river, because I don't want to drown. 
you know. So, so we get to the river and we get down the hill and, and there's a whole bunch of people gathered around the river just to watch. Just to see, is anybody going to get through this river? And they were watching as vehicles took a speed and, and, and did all that. And, and the river was coming down fast. And right on the other side of this little road, trying to get through the river, there was a drop off, like a little cliff, a little nice waterfalls. And we had to get across that. And here's a video of us getting across it. Yeah, I like the left. <laughs> So, so we made it across the river. It was exciting. So here's the thing. Um, we came together. We were the church. We overcame our barriers because we came together because it's better together. Well, you might be thinking, how does this relate to me? You know, that's great. You guys go into Haiti and overcome struggles, and it's better together overcoming struggles. And that's great. You relied on God, relied on each other. But how does this relate to our real life? Uh, I'll tell you what, in our real life, and here's a quote, and you can take your camera out and take a picture of this if you want, uh, we have struggles that make a tarantula crawling out of a toilet look like a walk in the park. All right? Somehow I put that on Facebook, because you're never going to see a quote like that again. But we have struggles that make a tarantula look like a walk in the park, because our struggles are for real, right? I mean, what's the worst this tarantula can do? Don't dwell on that too long, all right? But I'll tell you, they're not even poisonous, right? I felt, actually felt bad one of the Haitian guys killed the spider and, and, you know, threw it in the bushes. I actually felt bad if I would have been man enough, I would have gone and caught it. But I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I hear those things jump, you know, so I'm not going to do that. But, but I'll tell you what, that's, it's just a tarantula. Our struggles are real. The struggles that we face in life are way worse. They're harder Right? So much harder than a rainstorm flooding a river. Because our, our, our struggles are family struggles. Our struggles are marriage struggles. Our struggles are financial struggles. Our struggles are with sickness and with death in the family. I mean, those struggles, those struggles are real. But I'll tell you what, the solution to those struggles is the same solution that we came together with on our Haiti trip. You know, we started that trip with a bunch of individuals. We started, we had a mechanic and some office assistants and a doctor and some nurses. And we had uh, some people in their 50s and a teenager and some single moms and some couples. And, and a lot of us didn't know each other at all. But we very quickly became family on that trip. And when we go through struggles in life, here's the thing, uh, we're going to go through struggles. You know, Jesus actually guarantees us that. Uh, Jesus said here in uh, John 16, verse 33, he said, in this world you will have trouble, right? You're going to have trouble. It's going to come at you, and it's going to be tough. But take heart, I have overcome the world. See, there's an answer to us overcoming our struggles, and the answer is in what Jesus set up as the church. See, struggle is assured, but victory is promised, in Jesus' words, if you rely on the right strategy to overcome. 
So, and the right strategy was set up by Jesus. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about his strategy. See, Jesus came to bring a new strategy. There was the old strategy, which is the Old Testament. Uh, If you know your Bible, it's kind of split up into two parts. The Old Testament had one strategy for overcoming life's obstacles and for getting close to God and building into a community. And the New Testament, which was marked by Jesus entering the world, he he said, I'm bringing in a whole new deal. I'm fulfilling the old, I'm completing it, and here is the new strategy. See, the old strategy, you had to, if you wanted to become a community, God's community, you had to join a nation. You had to join the Israelites. They were God's chosen people. And you could, if you were not an Israelite, you could join the Israelites, but you had to do a lot of rituals and ceremonies and kind of be adopted into that. It was very hard. There were a lot of rules and regulations and laws. And in the old economy of overcoming struggles, you had to go to the temple. And the temple was a building. Actually, it was a tabernacle at first, which is portable church, right? We're used to portable church. We set up and tear down every Sunday. Well, they had that way back in the Old Testament in Moses' era. They would set up their church and camp out there for a while and then tear down their church and move on. They called that the tabernacle. And the tabernacle and the temple, that's where you would go to get access to God's power. You would go there and do ceremonies and rituals and sacrifices, and and you would gain access to God's power. So there was an Old Testament system for getting in community and accessing God's power. But Jesus said, I've come to bring a new way. And the new way, it looks kind of like the old way, but it's quite different. And Paul picked up on that, and he taught the church in Ephesus about that, and we're going to read some of those scriptures. Paul, he was talking to the church in Ephesus, and we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2. You can look with uh, that, and you, you check out your Bibles, go on your version app on your phone, or we'll read the screen. So here's how Paul made the distinction. And Paul said, look, you guys are used to the old way. Here's a new way, and the new way is way better. You're going to overcome struggles way better with the new way. And he says this, For he himself, and Paul's talking about Jesus, For he himself is our peace who made the two groups into one. And the two groups are Jews and Gentiles. Jews, The Jews are just a small group. The Israelites and the Gentiles were everybody else. Uh, Most of us would be Gentiles here if we're not of Jewish heritage. So Paul said, Jesus made the two groups into one, and he's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and its regulations. So Jesus came to set aside all those commands and laws and regulations. He he wasn't really doing away with them as much as he was fulfilling them and said, you're not going to gain power by doing these things anymore. I have a new plan. The old way is fine, but the old way is just a foreshadowing of the new system that Jesus is bringing. Uh, Paul says his purpose, Jesus' purpose, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. I love that because that's words, those are words that we need to hear in our culture, in our era, right? You know, you've heard people say, well, what race are you? And here Paul is saying that, hey, if you're, you're, you're part of the human race, Jesus came to bring one humanity under him. It goes on in verse 16, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. Through the cross, we become one. We come together, we, join, we, we, uh, we enter into that peace by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those who were far away and to those who were near. 
For through him, both, Jews and Gentiles, all of us, have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. You see, the Old Testament and their system of laws and the nation of Israel and the temple and all that, that was just a foreshadow of what Jesus would bring. That was just a glimpse into what Jesus would bring, that everyone would come together to be God's children under the cross. And the old way of striving for holiness by what you did would be replaced with accepting what Jesus has done for us. So instead of us striving to do our best to be holy for God, we're taking Jesus' holiness and saying, I'm claiming that forgiveness and resurrection for my life, and I become holy through Jesus, not through what I do, but through who I'm believing and who I'm following. So it's a whole kind of different way of tackling life. It's a different way of obstacles, of overcoming obstacles. You know, I don't know about you, but if you've read through the Old Testament, has anybody ever been like baffled and confused by the Old Testament? Like anybody, if, let me guarantee you, if you've read part of it, you've been baffled by it, right? It's confusing. It's kind of weird. It's kind of odd. Some of it you would say maybe like, this sounds really messed up. I don't, how does this make any sense? Uh, I'll tell you what, the Old Testament only makes sense if you know what Jesus did. It only makes sense because Jesus came to fulfill that old stuff and he came to, the old stuff was just a foreshadow of what Jesus wanted to actually do. So in the Old Testament, you had all these details. You know, I've often been confused and amazed by all the details in the Old Testament. It lists these, these intricate details, like for example, how to build the tabernacle. Uh, they talked about, okay, what's to be covered with gold and what's bronze and what's silver and what color the curtains are going to be and how you, what kind of fabric to make. And it goes on and on. And the furniture is supposed to be this big and this is supposed to be that big. And it just goes on forever. It gives intricate detail into the tabernacle and into the temple and how they were supposed to build it. And I was just like, what a waste of space. Like, what? I, I don't care about that. Like, what? And it makes for a long reading and I don't understand it. But the reason why God put all that crazy detail into there is because he was making a place that was holy. He was making a place that, that he would go and reside into and was a foreshadowing of the future temple. And let me tell you about the future temple. Uh, Paul goes on to talk about it in verse 20 verse and 22. He says this, uh, and this is the message translation now. He says he's using us all, irrespective of how we got here, in what he is building. So God is using all of us to build something. And, and I love building analogies. I, I, there's lots of builders out here, construction workers and, and that kind of stuff. I grew up in a construction worker family. Uh, my dad always did construction. My brothers both do construction right now. They have great businesses that they do. And, and I did that all through college, right? And I love building things and renovating things. So when you talk about building things, and the Bible does a lot, that's my language. And so my ears perk up with that. He said he used the apostles and the prophets for a foundation, and now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Jesus, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, 
all of us built into it. A temple in which God is quite at home. It sounds like the Old Testament. It's got that feel from the Old Testament, building a temple. But Jesus said, guess what, guys? It's not about that building. It's about you. You are the building blocks, and you fit together to build a holy place where God is going to dwell. See, God is not satisfied with that old temple, right? And the old temple, as beautiful as it was, you know, God was not satisfied to live in the temple. God wanted to live in the lives of people, but they weren't holy enough. So when Jesus came and provided that ultimate sacrifice, and he rose and was victorious, and when we accept that, we become holy enough to be vessels of God himself. And then when we get together, blocks upon blocks, building blocks together, stone on stone, we build something incredible. We build the church. And that's where God dwells. God dwells in the church. God dwells in us. You know what? There's a reason why God cared about every little crazy detail in the Old Testament. Because he's telling us, when I build the real temple, I'm going to care about every little crazy detail that goes into it. Every single person that goes into it. God pays attention to detail, and we are his building blocks. And he cares for every single one of us. That's why he spent so much time detailing in the Old Testament. It's just a foreshadow of the real temple to come. And so Jesus talks about this. And he says about the temple. They're, they're leaving the temple. I'm going to put this verse on the screen. He's talking about the temple in um, Mark 13, verse 1 and 2. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. The apostles were impressed by buildings, and often we are too. We're impressed by the buildings, right? And Jesus said, Do you see all these great buildings? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. It didn't sound like that incredible temple. It didn't sound like that really impressed Jesus that much. In fact, he said all this will be destroyed. And he knew it was coming. And it was. But instead, Jesus said, you know what? He wasn't worried about it. Because Jesus had another plan. Matthew 16, verse 15, 16, and 18 says this. Uh, Jesus is talking to Peter, one of the, one of the apostles. And he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, on this rock, on you, Peter, and on this knowledge that I'm the cornerstone, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. See, Jesus knew a, a temple build with, built with building blocks was just temporary. But he was building a temple out of people. He was building a church, and that would be permanent. You know, buildings don't last, but the church will, and the church is us. See, here's part of the problem with our culture, uh, with, our, with our American culture, with our Western culture. Part of it is, you know, we've embraced a very individualistic form of faith. And, and that's okay, right? Because we're always focusing in on you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus, which is true, you do. You know, I believe that that is true. The Bible actually also says that you as individuals are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You might have heard that before. This body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I'm supposed to personally accept Jesus into my life. And that's very individualistic, but it's true. But we often forget the community aspect of what Jesus is trying to accomplish. 
He wants a personal relationship with you. You are the temple. But we all come together to bring the big temple, which is the church. And we don't do that so well in our culture. In fact, we, we spent some time in Costa Rica, spent some time in Haiti this summer with our teams. They do community way better than we do. I mean, they do community. They do church in a whole different way. They don't even have buildings, right? But they do church. I mean, because they rely on one another. They are a community. And it's just, it blows me away to see the community, the depth that they've developed, and the depth of their faith in struggle. You know, with all those struggles I told you about in Haiti, you don't see people walking around sad and depressed and all that. You see probably people are happier there than, they, than you see here on a regular basis, right? Because they overcome struggles, because they're community minded and they 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 got to rely on God's power because they don't have anything else right so that is community I think in in America we're kind of like these building blocks these are the building blocks that you used to build a great building but in our culture we're not putting them together right we're all just individuals living out our individual faith which is good and it's good that we have a personal relationship with Jesus but if we never get connected, we're missing out on the purpose and the power of the church and what it was meant to be. So I don't want us to be like this. I want us to come together and build community. And Paul, uh, he knew all about that. In fact, Paul, he relied on that community to survive. Paul wrote that book of Ephesians while he was in prison. Uh, Paul would later be executed uh, by Nero. Paul had to rely on the community of the church, and that's why at the beginning of all his letters, and Paul wrote a whole bunch of letters in the New Testament, he always says things like this. Uh, he says, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. I have never stopped giving thanks for you. Paul, his lifeline was this new temple, a temple built block by block, by individual believers that come together to form a community and Paul's needs were taken care of and Paul overcame those struggles right to the point of dying. And Paul would often list all the struggles, way worse than tarantulas coming out of toilets, right? And Paul would list all his struggles, but the church would help him overcome because they were a community and they were connected. Not so much like our culture nowadays, which is very individualistic, right? And we need to overcome that. We need to tap the power of community and tap the power of the church. That's what we did in Haiti. We would not have been able to overcome those things without coming together to form a family. And that's what Paul catches up on all the time. Later on, this temple that, you know, the, the apostles, the disciples that look at this awesome temple and Jesus said, it's all going to be torn down. And they're just like, what does that even, that doesn't even make sense. You know, that temple had stood there for over 400 years. 400 years that temple had stood there. And Herod just did a huge upgrade right before Jesus came onto the scene. And they saw the upgraded temple, and it's just the most amazing thing. And Jesus said, just you wait, that temple's going to go. Jesus died on the cross. He rose on the again. He rose again. He gave the, the, the disciples one more charge. Go out and make disciples. Go out and be the church. Baptize people. Teach what I've taught you. There's the power in this. The power to overcome struggles. 
And Jesus goes into heaven, he ascends into heaven, he leaves the Holy Spirit to be at the center of the church. And that temple was utterly destroyed just a couple years after Jesus left. Tore down, block by block, piece for piece, that temple was completely demolished. Just like Jesus said. It seems to to be a weird coincidence that Jesus came and built a new temple right before the old temple was completely obliterated. It's not a coincidence. That was his plan all along. You wonder, why did Jesus come 2,000 years ago? He came right before the temple was destroyed because he said, here's a new temple, and it's way better than the old one, right? That old one is going to be destroyed. No big deal because I'm building something that's way stronger. So if you want to overcome struggles in your life, take what Jesus gave to us, that strategy. Overcoming struggles is better together. And that's what I really believe will help us in our life. I see, I see people every day, I, I, and we all do, we see people who are going through tremendous struggles. And I'm telling you what, rely on the power of God, rely on each other, and you're going to have trouble. But Jesus said, you know what? Be of good, good heart. I have overcome the world. That's my challenge. Um, just as we get ready to close, uh, we at Water Life Church, we have seven steps to becoming a healthy follower of Jesus. I don't know if you've seen that. Um, but... We're so glad when people take steps at our church. We're glad when people attend. I'm so glad you guys are attending today. That's like step one. If you're attending church, awesome. We love having you here. That is incredible. But there's more. There's more than just attending for a one-hour service, right? It's, hopefully it's the best hour of the week, but there's more, right? We want you to commit your life to Jesus, right? That's amazing. That's incredible. That is a life-changing decision. Attend church, commit your life to Jesus 100%, start following him. That is incredible. But there's more. There's even more to that. That's, that. You can do that as individuals. The next part starts to talk about community. Get connected to a life group and serve at Water Life Church. When you get connected to a life group and when you start serving, you start to be not just an individual building block, but you start to come together and build something amazing. Build something that is permanent. Build something that not even the gates of hell are going to overcome. You build something, it doesn't matter if a, if, a, if a building is demolished, the church will never be, and it's here to this day stronger than ever. Going through struggles, but I believe it is not going away, right? The church is meant to be permanent, and I want you guys to come together. Attending, that's awesome. Committing your life to Jesus, that's incredible, right? Getting connected to relationships, serving the church. There's a bunch of more steps, but that's for another day, right? You can check out these things at the Next Step Center. But that's what we want you to do. Get connected. And next Sunday, you have the opportunity to do that. We have our group link event coming up. It's next Sunday. So if you are not in a life group, and a lot of our life groups, they've been on hold all summer where they're starting back up again. It's going to be an incredible season of life groups. And we would love for you to uh, take out your smartphone, you know, check out your app. We just updated the app actually this morning. You check on the Water Life app. There we go. It pulls up. Press connect. And you go to life groups. And, uh, and boom, you can sign up right there for a life group. And then come out next Sunday at 7 o'clock and we will connect you to a group. We have all kinds of different groups, different ages. We have retired groups that meet in the daytime. We have stay-at-home moms that meet 
in the morning times. And we have all kinds of other groups that meet throughout the week. They all meet in people's living rooms. Uh, they're 8 to 15 people. They meet on a once-a-week basis. We take Christmas off. We take summer off. We're not going to commit you for the rest of your life. Just try it out. Try it out. Uh, next Sunday we do that at 7 p.m. Sign up. You can sign up at the Next Step Center as well if you don't want to do the, the app thing. Although we love the app. The app's awesome. You should all have it. Right? But um, sign up to a group and we'll get you connected next Sunday. It's one hour. There's child care provided if you tell me who's coming. And we're even going to have snacks. Right? What more can you ask for? It's going to be incredible. Right? So, so that is my challenge to you guys. Um, one other big challenge if you want to lead a life group, we need more leaders. Uh, we need more host homes. Maybe your calling today is to say, hey, you know what? I wouldn't mind leading a group. You don't have to be crazy qualified. You don't have to be a seminary graduate. Um, most of the time, all you have to do is listen to the message and then ask a bunch of questions that we give you, right? It's as easy as that. Or you pop in a video and ask a bunch of questions that the video gives you, right? But we need leaders. We always have a lot of people that sign up and we want to have places to put them. So we need leaders. We need host homes. Do you have the gift of hospitality, but you don't want to lead? Open up your home. We'll, put, we'll give you a group. We'll get you guys connected. And we do it in a way, like next week, we get to sit around tables and get to know each other before you just jump into a living room. And after we're done group link, we're starting a brand new series at our church. And this series is going to be five weeks. We want all our life groups to follow the sermon series. Five weeks is called Small Town. I told Todd this, uh, this uh, yesterday, the day before. I said, this is going to be the most incredible series we've ever done. And he said, thanks, Chris, for putting the pressure on, right? But I think it will. This is going to be one of the most incredible series that we have ever done. I am pumped for this series. You're going to want to invite all your friends to the series. It's five weeks, and on the fifth Sunday, the Sunday that we wrap up the series, is our five-year anniversary as a church, and it's going to be the most incredible service you've ever experienced. I'm setting the bar high for that. All right? So five-week series accumulating with a five-year celebration of our church, and we're going to talk about stuff that is going to really raise the bar for the next uh, chapter in our lives as Water Life Church. I believe this year is going to be the best year of the history of the church coming up. So you want to get into Life Group, get on board with this sermon series, and it's going to be incredible. You guys ready for that?